Welcome to the Weekly Squeak. Uh, I think we still need a new name. I've now been doing this daily bark, because that's actually what chinchillas make, apparently. They don't squeak, they bark. How so? I I don't know, but that's what it's called. (laughs) So you've not heard one bark? No. Okay. (laughs) I held one, and it just quivered a lot, and then pooed all over me. But um, I'm not going to call it the the daily poo, because that would be... Yeah, please don't. But anyway, in terms of the monthly, bi-monthly, tri-monthly, whatever this podcast now is... um, I'm not really sure what to call it. But anyway, welcome to the Weekly Squeak, which is for now. Uh, and, you know, just as we, of course, have perfected the art of microphone control, <clears throat> we are now trying some video. So we're also going to experiment with some video. You can see our lovely map here, map of the Roman world, in case you're trying to spot uh, places that don't quite make sense. We may be interrupted by a cat at any time, but that's okay. This is the internet. Yes. Um, also, yeah. We'll see how this works. It's a bit of an experiment, but uh, bear with us. And we'll try not to make too many visual clues that our audio listeners don't appreciate as well. So this is going to be a little bit of a catch-up from the past couple of months, but also a bit of a look back on 2016. It's that time of year. We were thinking we'd break them up, but um, to be honest with you, we've been a little bit busy, and I don't think we're going to actually realistically have the time. So we'll just sort of roll it all into one. So... Um, let's start with you, Kate. What did you want to start with? Um, I would you prefer to start with a bit of an overview? I've got my hits and misses of the year for IT, or alternatively, I could start with where I've been and what I've been up to. Yeah, I think start with that, and then probably work work backwards. Start with the second point. Start with what you've been doing most recently. Okay, and work your way backwards chronologically in your Kate time machine. Okay, I think last time we were talking to everybody, we were. Or had been at Web Summit, is that right? Yeah. So we've, we've kind of covered Web Summit? I think so. I can't yeah. entirely remember, but I think so. Okay. <laughs> if not, um, there were videos on the YouTube channel that yeah. you can watch. I mean, Web Summit's a, um, a tech conference in Lisbon for startups and people connected with startups and technology, of course. But um, since then, I um, went to Helsinki, um, ostensibly to go to the biohacking summit there. It's the second one I think they've run. They run one a year in London and one in Helsinki because the organisers are from Helsinki. And I was exceptionally disappointed you came back completely unhacked. I know. Um, Look, it was a funny beast. I think um, I was expecting a lot more tech biohacking when there was probably a greater proportion of health I mean, I guess, firstly, when we talk about biohacking, I guess we, we're talking about using technology or using medical knowledge or physiological knowledge to increase the capacities of human beings beyond what is currently they're currently capable of. And, I mean, firstly, let's take a step into what that means. That could be anything from diet to changing sleep, improving sleeping habits, exercise. Then you've got your things like your physiological monitoring, like wearables, um, and then you've got more kind of advanced things where, you know, we're using certain trackers or we're um, trying to get an understanding of people and what kind of benefits us as people um, or as, you know, as humans to be at our, you know, beyond our current capacity. And the people that organise the conference, they actually put out a handbook every couple of years, I think. And so part of the conference was talking about really updating that that handbook to incorporate some of the latest sort of trends in in this area 
And that includes things that you've probably heard of that aren't just sort of tech, but things like the fasting, the 5-2 um, notion and those sort of things where people reduce their... We're about um, to be joined by a visitor. Yes. <laughs> reduce their intake of food over an extended period of time or, you know, for certain intervals. Um, sleep interval treatments where, you know, um, people are looking at how they can change their sleep, whether it's optimal or not. It's and more like life hacking as well as just biohacking. Yeah, and I yeah. don't really like that term, but actually in some respects... it Life hacking? Yeah, because it's usually meant in a lot less... Um, well, in fact, I think what you're talking about sounds more like life hacking to me yeah. than many, maybe some of the other meanings of the word, Absolutely. actually. And, I, you know, not, not to harp on about this point, but like, you know, there was a sort of percentage of the tin hat brigade there, you know, people really heavily pushing the vitamins and the supplements and, and that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of sort of startups doing, you know, you saw that green type stuff. Which has just got relaunched, I saw. Really? It okay. was taken off the market, it was relaunched in the past couple of days. Was that after the, 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 chocolate, the food bars made everyone really ill? I don't know. I mean, it's not well, available here. Percent, so. There's a small percentage of people. <laughs> was, there, was there anything, because I saw that something that's also made a resurgence, in the, it, I didn't realise it had gone away, but apparently it had. Was there anything there about the um, <laughs> the uh, small consumption of less legal substances, shall we say? What are you trying to say? Well, so there was this trend in Silicon Valley a few months back about microdosing on LSD. Um, and I thought yeah. it had kind of gone, but apparently yeah. it's made a comeback as well. Yeah, there's a little bit about that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, unfortunately, the way they structured the conference, there was kind of one room of continuous sessions and a... Um, I don't know, stalls next to it. And the message was very much pushed of, go and look at the stalls. I mean, we're recording everything. You can access the audio. And it's been nearly two months and I'm yet to get copies of the audio and I'm very keen because I missed quite but a few Did you sessions. enjoy the stalls? I did. <laughs> I also <laughs> ate some crickets, um, cricket masala, some yeah. farmed crickets. Um, this is actually, I'm not sure what the company was, but the first, time, the first time I encountered... That was also in Helsinki, actually. This is a different company so, to that one. Yeah. yeah, look, there's a number of people looking at sustainable farming through using insects and things like that. Is it and still called farming? I'm not sure what else you'd call it, to be honest. Harvesting? Harvesting <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, growing, growing insects in small spaces as opposed to livestock. Very, yeah. very high in protein. Yeah. It can be used in different capacities from powders to flowers to, you know, eaten whole, blah, blah, blah. Um, let's face it, if you go to Southeast Asia, you can buy this stuff on any street stall. Yeah. It's pretty common, yeah, true, commonplace. True, true. Um, and I think that the biggest challenge is probably getting around to the fact that most countries have, or maybe Europe is a separate beast, of course, um, their own bio sort of regulations and mm. customs and bio, whatever the term is. So, you know, bringing, importing the stuff is a little bit more difficult. So that may mean that you've got a lot of mini businesses in different countries. So what was your highlight? Of that conference? Yeah. Um, I think meeting people in general and talking. Um, I quite liked being able to hop in a... Um, a very cold pool of water and then sit in a hot spa. That was quite nice. Um, yeah, look, I think it's the kind of thing I've got a lot of things to follow up on, mm. um, waiting once I get that information. But after that, I actually went to Australia. So that was my next kind of point. Um, and Australia experienced something a little strange. So what actually happened was when I arrived from, um, you know, I guess from Helsinki via London via Hong Kong, <laughs> um, there was actually a quite hot day. It was I think it was it got to thirty eight degrees Celsius, 
which is 100, around 100 of a little bit more than 100 degrees in um, American Fahrenheit. And um, there was a storm that evening, and as a consequence, uh, a lot it was quite windy, and a lot of people developed asthma. Now, asthma, as people know, is a um, bronchial condition where the bronchial tubes tighten and it becomes very, very difficult for people to, to breathe. Yeah. And what actually happened here was it was over, you know, 9,000 people. So it was, it's a, it was almost like an epidemic um, to the extent that, you know, a very high number of people, and I will send you the link, I've got all the stats, um, went to hospital. Nine people actually died from asthma attacks, either that night or in the following week or two, um, because they were in comas and couldn't be woken, etc. And a lot of these people had never actually experienced asthma before. Mm-hmm. But the phenomenon is called thunderstorm asthma. And what it actually is, is that um, the pollen, when, when there's a heavy storm and, and wind, the pollen actually bursts and all the little, little, um, little bits of pollen fly around, obviously, and um, get in people's lungs and their nose and things like that. And the commonality here is usually allergies or hay fever. So if you get hay fever, you're more likely to get asthma. So, but to, sorry to bring this, to, but where, what, where's, this, where's the tech in this? That's my next question. Okay. okay. okay Statement so, or question? That, or comment, actually. Comment. Okay. So the, the next thing that comes about with this is, um, firstly, the need for better monitoring of um, allergens and pollens. Every, most cities will do a pollen count every day. Problem with the Australian ones, and you've got to remember, Australia is a big place, is they're done on a 24-hour basis, so once every 24 hours, where, you know, that can change quite a bit. Um, also, you've got the issue of, of size, of scale. Mm. Like, you know, the temperature in one suburb could be different than one a few, yep. you know, distance across. And then you've got some sort of practical issues of things like the way... Um, medications are, are managed and, and monitored and things like that. For example, if you have an inhaler as an asthmatic, there's usually two types. Mm. Um, for sake of convenience, I'll say there's a blue one and a red one. The red one blue is... Blue pill you... and the red pill. Yes. Is... <laughs> so the, I mean, I should actually get them out, but I've got pictures in an article that I'll link to. So the blue one is your the one you take when you have asthma, so you're having trouble breathing. If that doesn't fix it, you go to hospital. The red one, or a doctor, the red one is a preventer, so it builds up. It's steroids. Mm. It builds up your lung capacities, etc. Builds up your reaction, your you know strength in your lungs and all that stuff. And the problem with these is, firstly, they um, it, with the blue one in particular, the one that you need in an emergency, has no tracking on it to allow you to oh, yeah. determine when it's running low. Yeah. Um, so you might think, oh, I'm fine, I've got a couple of them. Do any, because I, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a service in the US that does kind of pill tracking. I mean, pills yeah. are easier because it's much more visible. Do you know if in the US or anywhere else there's been something more with there's, inhalers? There's um, inhalers that will measure your lung capacity and record it, but not the actual yeah. quantity of the inhaled substance, so to speak. <laughs> Sounds a bit funny, doesn't it? And all the, um, you know, the, the frequency you're using it, how many puffs you're having, how much of it's getting in your lungs when you inhale it, etc., etc. So there's definitely a need here. There's also a need for even things like if you take it a step further and a bit of the kind of AI stuff where or a, you know, an change, online chemist... Change the dosage. ...could actually, yeah. <laughs> when you're running low, record... Um, in, sorry, purchase those, to, you know, automatically purchase them for you and mm. it comes to you via a, 
in the future, maybe an automatic car or a drone or something. I guess where I thought you were going with this, which maybe is also an idea, was that instead of having these uh, larger, slower cycle monitors to having maybe more smaller um, IoT connected um, yeah. sensors, or even True. like you're working with yeah. Nextpack, mm. a personal mm. sensor. That um, if you just pop out the door for five minutes right. with your phone just to get an idea yeah. if it's safe to go out. Well, that's right. And, that, and, and this stuff is, it will gradually be happening. But it's about the need for having, you know, regular, accurate readings that are location-specific so that people can make plans. Because the thing they tell people now is they're actually going to completely... Because this was the worst attack in the world, and wow. this, this happens in Iran, Australia... England, America, and somewhere else, maybe India. Um, what they actually are going to recommend now, firstly, that people don't wait for an ambulance. They go straight to hospital if there's a wait. Because if they can. People were yeah. waiting over two hours. Yeah. And secondly, that um, when there's bad weather, people stay indoors with the... But what, what does closed. bad weather mean? Exactly. Well, like the wind and okay. stuff. So there's been since then. There's a lot more weather weather warnings, I guess, yeah. in Australia. So um, just, I'd like to just firstly, we need a bit of a making of here. So we're currently using the uh, laptop for the camera, and the camera is up here. Yeah. And there's a cat just, just above the camera, the camera, staring at us the whole time. Yeah. So it would be great to be have a second camera here, so you can see this because it's. I'm actually surprised you've managed to keep a straight face the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I've just not been looking at the cat. <laughs> so if you if you get me not looking at the camera, usually I'm, I'm thinking or I'm. You know, it's it takes. I find it hard to look straight on when you're thinking. It don't don't look at the cat, yeah. <laughs> or do look at the cat. Yeah, she's helping you. So that's that's. I probably spent a bit long on that one. I apologise. Did you did you have a chance to talk to um, any uh, other startups or interesting kind of tech IoT people whilst you were in Australia, or just catching up with people? Just next pack. Just next. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, and uh, I might just catch up a little bit, and then yeah, we'll sure. we'll jump in. Yep. So, um, whilst you were away, I didn't do too much, to be honest with you. Um, I and I have spoken a little bit about this on my daily uh, podcast, vodcast, whatever video podcast it's called. Uh, I was in London for a couple of days and I went to Agile the Docs, which was a little mini event mm. about integrating documentation into sort of Agile, not just software, but Agile businesses, practices. Mm. Um, and this is quite interesting. I was a guinea pig for someone's own experiment in this field a few months back um, and we learned a few things. Um, and that's uh, Dr. Paul Adams and he did a talk at Write the Docs in September that mm-hmm. you can find sort of about this experiment. which so we'll put that link on I didn't website. find particularly controversial, but it seemed to upset a lot of people. I'm not entirely mm. sure why, but I've never... Anyway. <laughs> um, but also there were a lot of people there from government uh, and a particularly uh, British department called GDS, Government Digital Services, okay. which kind of operates like a startup inside the government, okay. um, which was quite interesting because the way they work and what they work on is a little bit... They have a bit more independence, and it's quite interesting that, in some respects, at the moment, the UK politically is being very conservative, mm. but in a lot of other ways, they're very progressive. And I mean, this is always the thing with government. Government is multifaceted, but 
you know, you don't ever really, in mainstream news, you don't ever really hear the positive stories. You that's only true. ever hear the negative, yeah, the stuff to do with Brexit oh. and immigration policies and things, but mm. not all the other positive things they're doing. And you don't hear from the civil servants and politicians and people who are working on them. So it was interesting to hear some of the things they're working on. And the UK is actually quite a flag flyer in terms of open data, um, some aspects of open government, things like that. So it was quite interesting. Um, and they invited me to go and have a look around their office, but I didn't have time, unfortunately. Um, well, that's a shame. I then, on the Tuesday, I went to work at uh, Runway East, which is a co-working space um, that a friend of mine uh, is the marketing manager for, so he always lets me just sort of come and occupy a desk. And it was kind of interesting. I mean, it was interesting to see the different sorts of ways that uh, British entrepreneurs and startup people conduct themselves. It's kind of much more... Much more. <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of a better way to describe it than you would with the ones here in, what do you in, mean? in Berlin. It's hard to quite put your finger on it, but there's a there's a lot more kind of just doing and and things happening maybe in a different sort of way. I don't know. It could have just been. Was it because you were there? Because <laughs> I was there. You know, I don't think they were so. they were they were doing rather than just talking. I don't, about I don't it. think so. But but <laughs> it was it was interesting just to mm. see. And this is just one place, of mm. course. But it was interesting. It's also quite amazing to see in the UK how much like cashless payments are everywhere. And I know you said the same in Helsinki. Oh yes, which is to, to be fair, this may sound unusual, but if you've ever been to Germany, you know that Germany and Austria. Um, are very pro-cash. So whilst it's strange because to a lot of people us making that statement might seem like, well, isn't that everywhere? It's like, mm. well, actually, no. Here, it's quite still quite unusual. Yeah. So to be able to just use my card pretty much everywhere, including I went to a charity shop, op shop, thrift store, whatever yeah. you call them, to buy two books that cost me a pound each and I could pay my wow. credit card, which that's, well quite phenomenal really very unusual um, compared to Germany and then on the Wednesday I was at uh, DevRelCon so conference for developer relations developer experience um, there was a lot of talks in the morning kind of about um, what we should call ourselves and how to monitor what we do and I'm never so mm. interested in these sorts of talks or more that once you've seen one you kind of it's just sort of repetitions on the same uh, stories really um, I mean, personally, and I'm not a big fan of titles and does it really matter and things like that, but sure. personally I found, um, I always find that developer experience is the best kind of catch-all term for hmm. the work that um, I work in a lot of, i.e. creating a good experience for people trying to use your product, who are generally, in this case, developers, be that sure. through documentation, presentations, Whatever. Mm -hmm. It's about providing a good experience. And actually, it should be less about roles, but more about uh, an aim, I suppose. Okay. Um, I think that was about it. Whilst I was in the UK, I did a lot of catching up with people and, and things like okay. that. Um, yeah. Probably the only other event I'll mention is um, just last week, a week before, just when I got, the week I got back from, from Oz, there was um, a... Um, Berlin Tel Aviv IOT um, week yep. here in Berlin, um, hosted by the factory. Uh, factory is a community slash co-working space for startups and tech people and associated 
um, riffraff like myself. <laughs> and basically, um, they had a really good conference day where they got people looking at both sides of the, you know, the. Bless you, Chris. Sorry, um, I don't no, know if that got picked up or not. That's right. <laughs> but, but, you know, both sides of the, um, the globe, so to speak. I don't, I don't know if that's the right term. Um, both sides of the Mediterranean. Oh, <laughs> yeah, my geography's not great. Yeah, but so, you know, it was, uh, here's our experiences and the other people saying, here's our experiences. Tel Aviv is, well, Israel is a very interesting. Israel is actually incredibly interesting. I've had my eye on Israel for quite a long time. Um, I've spoken to a lot of IT companies in Israel. And what is the most interesting part of the Israel system is, um, and I can throw some stats your way, I'll send some links up. Um, it's just this amazing um, petri dish for IT from... Your V2V programs in cars and car automation to factory manufacturing to devices um, to... Uh, that really put me off. Chris just put our camera on so we could see ourselves. It was really I actually weird. just wanted to double-check the audio was recording uh, before we went any further. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, wearables even, you know, um, medical stuff. Like, it, if you think of a vertical as part of IoT, they have people doing it and doing well. And moving quickly and going to market mm. and making successful um, devices and trends and so on. Thinking, really interesting. Thinking about some other interesting events, actually, you just reminded me, I was also at the factory for um, a talk from the uh, woman who ran Hillary Clinton's digital campaign. Mm-hmm. And that was also very... Uh, sorry. <laughs> it was going <laughs> It was very sneezy. No, it must be uh, an asthma storm. Thunderstorm, um, yeah. <laughs> Just it, was, it was very interesting. And uh, I suppose what was quite interesting was that, firstly, this whole aspect now of trying to use these tools but also simultaneously sound and look authentic because oh. people are m- much wiser at sort of smelling a rat these days. Also, I suppose it was interesting with the benefit of hindsight to hear what this uh, person thought based on the fact that, you know, the well, the, the campaign was actually successful. And if we not wanting to get too into American politics, but of course, the popular vote for Clinton was actually higher than rivals. Mm. So in theory, the campaign and its intended audience was more successful. Yeah, right. It just didn't achieve the outcome that yeah. was wanted. Um, but it, it was quite interesting just to hear some of the things they did, some of the things they tried, some of the things they didn't work and did work. Um, and, yeah, I think a lot of it you could learn from um, from what was done there in other... Uh, Do you have any examples? Um, so, for example, the one that was quite cool was um, just the, the, the way they were able to react quite quickly and have things sort of ready. So there was one quote that uh, Trump made at some point about uh, she's playing the woman card. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact wording, but um, playing the woman card to get sympathy or, or something. I can't remember the exact wording. And then within a few hours, they had made kind of apps and physical cards that were the woman card that you could... <laughs> Are people playing cards with women on them or something? Something like that, but just something very quick. Mm. Um, then there were other apps that were very successful. There were uh, other things that they used that uh, 
were not successful. Right. Um, I mean, I think the, the, uh, there is a link to the. It was a live stream on our Facebook, so okay. there is a link to the video, and you can see the precise examples. I think the the other thing I was fascinated by as well, as you bear in mind with American uh, electoral campaigns, is they run for a very long time. Oh, it's months. God. And a question I would have liked to have asked would be just how you sustain it. That's what I was thinking. And how you sustain the momentum and the enthusiasm and the interest for such a long period of time. Especially when you've got lots of volunteers too. A lot of volunteers, mostly volunteers. Um, and just this, it's funny as well because she described the campaign as basically being a startup for mm, a period of time. Definitely. But this, and, and in some respects, I suppose they actually, I'm not entirely sure of the figures, but I guess they raise about the same amount of money as a startup. Mm, but mm. in, well, indirectly in a much shorter period of time obviously indirectly Hillary Clinton has been around for decades so she's been building up the potential to raise money for a long time but then the campaign is Mm. a more focused um, Mm. yeah and it was it was interesting Um, I mean there's been lots of discussions obviously the past few months that I think we're probably too late to talk about in the short term right now but also too early for me especially to have thought about what I want to do about it, but mm. this kind of usage of data, the data-heavy world at the moment and how um, we are relying too much on data, A, to make uh, inaccurate decisions, um, surveys and, and uh, behavioural data and things like that, but also you know the amount of uh, content and um, output that needs to be created to maintain that as well as also had its problem mm. with the whole kind of fake news thing definitely and uh, one interesting kind of thought that came into my head of course was that the trump campaign claimed they had better data and the company behind it claimed they had better data but of course actually really what the problem was was that the data that um the data that sh- the data that was relied on that people were reading to to show who would win the campaign wasn't actually correct. It was missing important details. So, you know, people didn't admit to um, being a voter for Trump or they changed their mind and things like that. And that's like, well, if you put crap in, you're going to get crap Mm. out, of course. And actually the very interesting thing I'll round up this kind of session with, because I can see Kate's getting itchy in her notebook, is, it's fine, I've been rambling too long, is... um, I've been reading this very good book by uh, David Greenberg, which is a very fairly generic name, but the book is called uh, Republic of Spin, and it's sort of about spin doctory, polling, things like that in American elections since about the beginning of the 1900s. And there is, um, I'm currently reading the chapter of the election between Truman and Dewey. Um, right. And there were some quotes there, and this is from 19... 19- 50, late 1940s, late early 1950s, and some quotes there that if you change the names mm, to Clinton and mm. Trump, it would have sounded like quotes from the last campaign. So in, in that they were saying that the polling data was inaccurate, that people ignored the common person's vote, uh, the intellectuals got it wrong, they were sick of experts, etc., etc. Like you could literally transplant all those quotes mm. into the current election. So I think it's sometimes refreshing, but also depressing at the mm. same time that things haven't really changed that much but um all right anyway enough of that kate what what have you been writing what have you what would other topics would you like to mention what have i been writing let me have a look that would be useful 
Um, I've been writing a few things. I mean, I've been looking at wearables and particularly looking at women in wearables as women, um, as a cohort being well and truly well established in the wearable technology sector. You mean as creators or as consumers? Creators. Okay. Creators, programmers, engineers, um, all the roles you could imagine in tech, scientists, researchers, etc., all um, having a lot of women being, you know, heavily active and heavily invested and, you know, all kind of, you know, doing particularly well as a sector. So that's interesting. Um, what else have I been writing about? Let's see. Honeywell. Honeywell. Have you been writing about their military uh, machinery, have you? No, sadly no, not. Okay. No. <laughs> that was not, it's not the most interesting story in the world. It's really about um, just Honeywell and getting people's Christmas packages to themselves for um, from Santa Claus. And what do Honeywell do with packages? They do the little, you know, when you knock on the door and it's the UPS or the Amazon people yeah. and, and they have that little virtual ah, okay. keyboard thing. Uh-huh. I don't know what you call it. Um, Probably one of the most interesting things I've come across lately is some patents that British Airways uh, put out uh, last week, I think it was. And basically the patent, I I actually did read through the whole thing, so it was, you know, 40-odd pages, um, is about using IT in the planes, not only to um, have sensors within the planes, but also sensors upon the person, um, the passenger in the plane. So the kind of their broad broad overall statement, I guess, is to look at increasing the comfort of passengers and also reduce jet lag. So the idea was one of the ideas was to have a digital pill that people could swallow, and passengers that is, and it would be able to identify alert the staff if the people are dehydrated, if they need um, you know if they need something basically, um, if they need to be moving around more, if they're not if they're not sleeping enough, um, if they need food at different times, things, you know, I guess monitoring your health in a way. I think there's there's a fundamental flaw in this whole idea. That you're on a plane? <laughs> well, that, but also that the staff will want to react to it. <laughs> and, and I think, and, you know, I was pretty sceptical of this whole thing, and, you know... If you can't serve meals at if, ten different times well, because right. of pill If you read the article, you'll, you'll see my kind of tongue-in-cheek yeah. comments because, you know, you're kind of pushing this idea when, when you know, whilst, yes, we are trying to get greater comfort on planes... And, you know, we've got digital little screens now to watch TV and things like that. And we can get free booze at least some of the time. Um, depending I don't on think that's a new invention. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, depending on who you fly with, of yeah. But the other side of it is, well, you know, you're also trying to squish more and more people on the plane. Mm. The seats have got smaller statistically. Mm. Um, you've got a phenomenon where, you know, you've got people pushing patents like the idea that people could stand on planes. Instead of sitting? That was an old idea that was long well, since dismissed, I think. It was a couple of years ago. No, it was Ryanair, actually quite a while back. Well, I've got a link to it. Really? Yes. Maybe they, someone else... Well, they, 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 they must have, a few people yeah. must have brought it back. But, so but, there's but, a certain uh, irony, sorry. like, if they say, yes, you're at risk of developing DVT, go for a walk around the plane, it's not the easiest place to go for a walk. And I've been Especially told... Especially if you're in the middle of the plane. I've often been told by... Um, like air, air staff to... To sit down. Sit down, yeah. Right. Yeah, the sit in your seat, with the seatbelt on. But, yeah. I mean, ignoring that, the concept of a digital pill in itself is quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it comes out of your system at some point, which is then what well, happens to yes, it? it well, does. I know what happens to it, but it's like... <laughs> no, but in theory, like, does it have a shelf life? If it, does, it, does it, once it's gone 
into the water system, shall we say, is it still giving off data somewhere? Or, you know, what happens Presumably to it? Presumably not. I mean, it would have a very short shelf life, you'd assume. It's kind of quite um, interesting. And bear in mind, they've not created this pill yet. To my oh, knowledge. right, okay. Hence, <laughs> <laughs> <hence, laughs> there's a patent element here. Okay. But it would also be stuff like, you know, the... The play, the staff could automatically change the lighting. Um, they could adjust your seat so they wouldn't have to come up and ask the person in front of you to move their seat when you want to eat your meal and just stuff like that. Yeah, Lots of different things. So yeah. I think some of these things will happen, but maybe not all of them. I think there's a big flaw in this in the other people, unfortunately. Yeah, pain is other people. It's, it's, yes. a, it's a particular area that you have very little control over. Yeah. So just... And having just been on a long-haul flight myself, you know, almost 30 hours from Australia. It's not very pleasant. And, mm. you know, look, there's a lot of people that will do a lot to get a more comfortable flight. But yep. ultimately, yep. when you're flying very long distances, budget does come into it. Okay. Let me recap a couple of articles. So firstly, I've got a couple that are going to be published probably in the next week or so, just mm-hmm. before the end of the year. One is something I've been intending to write for a little while and then sort of forgot about and then just remembered to finish it over the weekend which is my very clever title Tech Your Privilege at the Door um, <laughs> which is about privilege in tech um, but a bit more broader maybe I'm hoping or just different than from the usual subjects that get covered um, I'm hoping that will come out somewhere mm-hmm. next week okay. so we'll see Um also something that I wrote a little while ago and have just got around to finding some way to publish it, but I'm not entirely sure if that'll be in the next couple of weeks, which is uh, just a little roundup of uh, other options for native programming, not hybrid programming on Android without using Java. Um, and on CodeShip, next week I will have an article on testing your code in documentation Mm -hmm. which i've just finished literally just finished before we started this uh recapping a couple of things i've written in the past few weeks um i did a blog post on my problems with this time of year i got sick of people you know whenever you're a grumpy at this time of year and i'm going to keep using the term this time of year term grumpy (laughs) (laughs) grinchy um People, yeah, people accuse you of being a grump and a grinch and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think a lot of people forget that this time of year can also be quite difficult for a lot of people for various reasons. Um, and I wanted to write a little article about why I don't really enjoy this time of year. So, sure. um, I also wrote something on Setup, which is a I met uh, these people at Web Summit and wrote something about it. Um, it's a subscription service for Mac applications, ten dollars a month. Gives you access to a bunch of different applications. Um, if you look in the article, I also now have a referral link, so you can get right. access for up to fifty people. I don't know how many are left at the moment. Um, if you want to access the service, um, I wrote another article on automating spelling and grammar checks in documentation. Oh, interesting. Does uh, that include um, spelling for, for, for different languages? Like um, American English, Australian English, yep. English, English. Yep, definitely. Right. At least English, anyway. Other languages, you know, okay. can be a little less supported, but definitely uh, the variations of English. Because that's something I always have to watch yep. for. Because <laughs> yes. I do get it wrong. <laughs> exactly. And also, um, yeah, I think that's about it. 
for stuff that I've been I've been doing a lot of things at work with Contentful, right. a lot of things behind the scenes, a lot of I've had a few breakthroughs in the past week, so a lot of that will emerge very Ooh. soon. Um, Sounds actually. promising. But it's been taking up quite a lot of time, and the the daily bark, the daily, of course. Okay, excellent. Anything? Any other articles you want to quickly recap that you've worked on, or are you kind of largely done there? No, I, I you know, I'm, I'm probably done with, okay. that, with that little bit. Okay. All right. So um, let's go. Let's have a quick 2016 wrap up. I think we are all in agreement that 2016 has been quite a year. <laughs> yeah. I unfortunately don't think 2017 is going to be much better. In fact, I'm probably going to hazard a guess that it's going to be just as bad, if not worse. But let's focus on the positives of the year. Hmm. Or at least the constructive elements of the year. So, Kate, firstly, um, let me know, tell me what was your least favourite, least popular, least successful kind of trend or thing from the year, from 2016? Sleep tech. Sleep tech. Um, just because, let's be honest, if, it, if people were able to create sleep tech that worked very well... We wouldn't need it. We wouldn't need so many people creating other sleep tech devices. Mm. And what I need, what I mean by sleep tech is usually something that either is attached to your bed, next to your bed, or to yourself whilst asleep, or whilst trying to sleep, or whilst awake in bed, or having nightmares, or panic attacks, or what have you. Um, now there is a range of these that do different things and I'm actually going to write I'm writing my hits and misses of the year kind of article at the moment um, we're preparing to write it anyway let's be optimistic mm. <laughs> um, and I've just seen so much sleep tech whenever I go to an event and there's IIT it's always sleep tech and look to be fair um, a lot of it is coming from academics um, sleep tech researchers and so forth so it does have a good kind of foundation in there, there being a need and I don't dispute there is a need for this kind of understanding I uh, have been as as a person who's suffered with sleep disorders for a long time I have actually stayed at a sleep lab myself and had all the tests and everything that were fairly inconclusive mm. bar saying oh yes you've got an underactive thyroid and um, restless leg syndrome and we don't really know what else to do <laughs> um, and this is a pretty common problem people know what the problems are people don't lack insight into like you think of someone who has insomnia um, unless there's an underlying physiological cause for their insomnia they don't need someone to be measuring how much sleep they get a night they probably know but what they need is ways to um, to improve that so sometimes there's a gap between um, products that are able to um, identify a problem and products that will solve the problem. They're quite different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's kind of one area where I think, yeah, there's some good stuff. I'll name check a couple when I write it, but most of it's pretty okay. much the same. Now, you surprised me with some of these things. I haven't given this much thought, so I'm going to get it be a bit vague and hope that it makes some sense. Okay. I think least successful for me this year would probably have to be social networks <laughs> um, or least successful outcome, shall we say. There's been people kind of bringing to their attention inherent problems for quite a while and this year we saw the kind of potential outcomes of those. 
And there's a lot of... What do you mean by that? Well, um, the problem with filter bubbles, the problem with um, only showing people what they want to hear, etc., etc. Fake news... It's slightly well. It's one side of the right. another side of the same issue, but yeah, without getting into too much detail, because many people have spoken about it. But right. I think that's probably the headline one for me. So, okay. um, what about well, just actually saying, you know, sorry, I didn't really get to finish saying that, but just in terms of people told them these problems and they were ignored, and then we saw a manifestation that could have some very big problems in the next few years and if we'd again what do you mean by that well (laughs) which one (laughs) like there's how many how many social phenomenons has there been this year across the world that have been pretty well there we go so that's exactly what i mean (laughs) and and the outcomes of those next year who knows what they're going to lead to but are you talking about trump are you talking about brexit all of them all of the above plus more the the people being shot in the philippines all of those all of these all of these all of these because we are two living in two filtered worlds and um yeah i don't really want to go into too much detail because it's been a topic that's been covered so much better in other places but if that's my least successful technology of the year then i think social networks (laughs) i don't actually take us i i don't disagree with you but i think i'd also but i'd also add there's been a couple of positives in social networks. well they've also been massively successful if you look from the other perspective as well (laughs) my, my specific successes you've got firstly the fact that twitter is making more efforts but they took too long given how many complaints they took too long they took too long if they'd done this a few years ago then it could have prevented a lot of problems and they took too long and they've been warned about this for years and they've only just now finally all right so we've 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 had a few hiccups in the video here but that's okay we'll continue this was the first experiment so we talked about least successful concept idea what was your most successful of 2016 i think the success um in terms of innovation and innovation to come has actually been medical IT, particularly the diabetes area. The reason I say this is because it's actually crossed a few different areas. Firstly, the big surprise, or is it a surprise? I don't know if that's the right term either, has been the um, self-hacking movement for people with diabetes, particularly type 1 diabetes, where people are creating their own pancreatic monitors um, using Adreno and things like that. People are actually open sourcing all the information and comparing, contrasting, and setting up their own kind of mini researchers um, or mini research, if you like, in response to feeling there is an absence in this area. And the reason I'm, I'm saying this is because the other side of it, that, that, the, that there is a big race of people across the whole IoT medical field, if you like, trying to get their diabetes stuff out there um, and it's everything from monitoring through using um, patches e-skin to you know using um, the pens to, to blood prick um, a bit of everything really uh, and I'm, I'm still kind of researching some of this to, to kind of come up with some definite opinions but I think that diabetes will be has been the big kind of problem that technologies wanted to solve if, I, if we're mm, going to look mm. at health specifically and to be fair look you know i will caveat that and say i could come up with 10 other examples across the, the iot verticals um and just quickly to, to sort of jump on that for example 
I think some of the biggest areas have been manufacturing robotics and ag tech, um, if not more than medical, because you've got, you know, things like the tracking of goods across warehouses from, you know, floor to factory to, to outlet. Um, and the sensor tech will, you know, as it grows, will be able to go even to the food in people's fridges. So you imagine that whole trajectory from the farmyard to the fridge um, in people's homes all being tracked and being able to determine quality of foods and all that sort of stuff. We've got people looking at reducing world hunger through reducing the use of food waste, not only um, once it's off the, um, you know, the, the, the fruit or what have you has left the, um, the crops or left the, you know, the tree, but it's also things like um, grains being stored in silos and reducing the insects there and things like that. Um, we've got the... And I know this is something we've talked, we've spoken about. Oh, are these about. items actually being used right now, though? Or yeah, you, okay, correct. Cool. Um, one that we've we've both spoken about quite a lot, which is the idea of using automations and, and robotics in in workplaces, whether it's factories, it's it's manufacturing, it's behind the scenes at a um, a market, or a wholesale market, a, a shoe shop, whatever you know, mm. the, the, that the the chemist, the the pharmaceutical company, where people are actually um, finding that. There are faster, more efficient ways to do things, and there's even um, even like I know we were talking about um, Israel, for example. There's a number of Israeli companies I've spoken to that are heavily involved in this area, where you know it's not people get very excited and very angsty about the notion: Are we replacing people with robotics? Not exactly. We're creating, we're replacing some of the functions that were previously taken by humans. If we can say. Well, to be honest with you, after that, I don't really know what I can say is most successful because it will all sound really inane after that. <laughs> so, really? Oh. I was going to say, because I hadn't, as, as we alluded to, we haven't really thought this through. No, that's all right. I was going to say Microsoft, but now I feel... No, I'm interested to know what you said. Now I feel like that's a bit... Um, uh, but I'm interested. What do you mean? Explain a bit, it to a me. Bit, a bit inane after... No, Because uh, I would agree with most of what you said, but I can't really uh, just say that. So I guess off the top of my head, I would what say... Said. Yeah, what she said. <laughs> Um, I think off the top of my head, I would say Microsoft, um, just because they changed a lot. They have really turned around the way they represent themselves and the way that people perceive them. They have embraced as much as a company like Microsoft ever would Linux and open source. Um, Mm -hmm. You can now have a Linux sort of virtual machine running inside Windows. They've Microsoft have created cool, expensive, but cool and um, groundbreaking devices, in contrary to other companies. Um, mm. And they're just—I I, I saw a talk from someone who worked for one of their service teams last week, and just hearing some of the more inside practices they're using as well. And just—I don't know—it's just a company. It's—it's it's interesting to see a company that's been around for a very long time that in the past has had a very different reputation mm-hmm. is just very different um, but that's quite insignificant like it sounds like in some ways they're able to evolve and to reinvent their yeah. less successful yeah. parts yeah but it also shows you know? that a, a good a good manager or a good person mm. in charge can can change things absolutely okay um, next biggest hype yeah this one won't surprise anyone I think it's Pokemon Go Really? Did you play Pokemon Go, Chris? Yeah, but I don't know why. I mean, hype to me means something that was hyped and then wasn't successful. And it actually was okay. very successful. Well, this but... is my caveat, actually. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to have a look at some stats from Pokemon Go. 
um, and looked at one of the reports. And this particular report, I'll find a better one, but this one, um, you have to buy it, so I won't, I won't um, link it. Um, basically, if we think about Pokemon Go, it came out early, this, early, early July, sorry. Mm. Um, at its peak, you're talking about 20 million daily active users, um, 500 million downloads plus. Um, and the bit, the bit that I wanted to note that's quite interesting is um, it's estimated that on its first day, it made between 3.9 million and 4.9 million. But as of 1st of November, which is you know not too far, far away, it was making two million daily, so it's nothing to sneeze at. So that's and, not hyped then. Well, it's, it's <laughs> it did. I think my my hype is the fact that it was in popular culture. It was in the modern vernacular. It was in the you know you could physically go outside and see people playing it. Mm, um, we still it was, do. It was a news item. Like people were covering it in the mainstream news and the press, and you know people were going and meeting and engaging and talking and meeting their neighbours and all that sort of palaver, and it was getting people. Away from their screens, out in the streets, on, but still, but still on a screen. And do you know what I, I think the most interesting thing of it is? It really kind of made the very the kind of early stage AR accessible to the general populace. You didn't have to wear a crazy pair of goggles. Or... It's very, it's very basic. Very, AR, oh, though, true, true, true. Yeah. Very basic. And to be honest with you, the AR that it introduced was not new. Things like Leia. Yeah, I know. Even Google Maps have had that for a while. But, but I guess but it still, gets yeah. people thinking about it. You know, yeah. creating yeah. a bit of a, yeah. you know, a, a baseline for people to kind of, you know, who aren't gamers or who aren't, you know, yeah. those sort of people. I suppose most hyped for me would be. Um, maybe it's a bit of an obvious one <laughs> would be Apple <laughs> on the flip side of my most successful mm-hmm. um, the MacBook Pro okay I was waiting for it there's been a lot said about it actually I have lessened my dislike of what was released somewhat because there's been some very interesting articles about how actually it's far more flexible than it may Ooh, initially appear but the touch bar Whilst there have been some quite interesting articles about what people are doing with it, my own personal experience of seeing people use the new MacBook Pros, I have not seen anybody touch it. <laughs> so, so what, touch the, the, touch the, the little touch bar. bar thing. So, really? whilst you can now How play funny. Lemmings and Doom and all these cool things on it, which really are just like, hey, just for the hell of it, mm. when I've actually seen people using the new MacBook Pro, I Ooh. have not seen anyone using it. So. Mm, we'll see. Um, so that's probably... I don't even know if it's hype. It's more like disappointment, I think. <laughs> or underwhelming, perhaps. Underwhelming, <laughs> yeah. Um, so what would be... Would you have in the converse of that, would you have like the most successful kind of underdog? Like your secret success that you were quite surprised about? Oh, mm. not really. Top of your head. Not so much. I mean, I'd like to say... Um, uh, I'm, just, I'm just thinking. I know, I know what you're asking me. Um, I'm not really coming up with one okay. that is particularly compelling. Um, no. All right. I'm going to go for a weird one, yeah, I think. On. Um, again, not overthinking this. I'm going to go for the Balkans. Mm. <laughs> so, so Actually, I have got one. I went, to, I went to a lot of conferences this year. I'm just scrolling through my list. I think at least... At least 20, maybe 30 events, uh, several countries, 
But certain areas of the Balkans surprise me time and time again. And I think that if they can sort of keep it together in the next 10 years, Belgrade especially could be a very interesting city. There's a lot of um, conf- no, conflict's not the right word, especially to apply to a city like Belgrade, but a lot of uh, clashes of opinions on the future of the city, anti-gentrification things mm. and things like that. And if they can sort of get this balance right, there's some interesting investment coming from um, the Arab world and China, which could make it a very interesting kind of east meets west um, perspective. Oh, I lost my train of thought there. Okay. Um, when the conference I went to had 800 attendees, which is pretty impressive mm. for um, a place that a lot of people wouldn't think of as being a kind of tech hub. Um, in, again, Albania also surprised me yet again. The interesting things happening there. Kosovo, um, just uh, an amazing kind of place once you dig beneath the surface of what's going on and what people are accomplishing, despite the fact they can't travel anywhere really. Um, and they are so sort of cut off from the world around them for various reasons. Um, yeah, and I think uh, I think it surprises me every time I go in a, in a, in a good way. And I, mm. I think that will be my unsung underdog of 2016 will be the Balkans. Interesting, <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah, I've got a couple. I mean, I'd oh, okay. say... No, you've got to have one, though. You've got to pick one. <laughs> I can't. It's too hard. I've got two, but I'll okay, mention them both very okay. quickly. The first one is um, a company called ProGlove okay. that um, created a well, a glove, what it sounds like, that's got a, um, a scanner on it. Um, and, you know, it's hardware, of course. And it's sensibly for use in factories, largely automobile factories. And it's actually a German company. And it's... They've had a really good journey. Like, it's been really interesting following them. I've kind of been cheering them on for a long time in the background. Um, and they've always... They've gone to a number of the... Um, oh, what do you call them? You know, the startup events where they'll have, like, a, a competition of some sort. And they, they always sort of place quite well, if not win. And they've just kind of gone... To market, maybe, is the, is the term I'd use. I'm not sure if they call it that. But they've gone from custom stuff, like doing a lot of custom stuff, to being you know, slightly more mainstream. And I think that's a really good achievement mm. for them because um, I, I can appreciate the journey is a long and a hard one doing hardware, particularly in Germany. Um, and the other one, ironically, is actually the German health system <laughs> because I got sick earlier in the year and was able to be in hospital for a couple of weeks. Um, not sure if I'd agree with you on that one considering this, how much we pay for it. But anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but despite the fairly, um, you know, the obvious challenges of, painful boredom and um, dreadful food. You know, I was lucky to get quite good health healthcare. Okay. Finally, to wrap up this wrap-up, mm. what would... And I'll go first if you like, because yeah. I've got it in my head. That'd be better. Um, I'd like to say, what would you like to see happen more of or happen better in 2017? So for me, I think... And this is kind of veering off until I sometimes veer off into more political and sociological kind of ideas. And I'm not entirely sure what exactly the form of this will take, but I think Europe needs to be stronger and more more on its own two feet and more confident. Um, There's been a lot of uh, issues this year because Europe doesn't feel like it has the confidence, the, the power, the desire to 
kind of be more unified and um, uh, interact with the rest of the world in the in the ways it maybe should. And I think 2017 Europe should um, be more self confident, be more cohesive as much as possible. Otherwise, it will probably, as a concept, as a political concept, disintegrate, and that probably wouldn't be a good thing. So no. <laughs> let's let's. Um, I think it basically, if it doesn't get more confident and more self-confident uh, and more self-conscious and more just putting its own agenda more strongly, then I think um, I think it's probably kind of over. So, so I think I think it's one of one of those two outcomes in the next couple of years. And 2017 will be a crucial time to kind of set out uh, the way it should act with or without the uk especially hopefully with even if, statements even if they're not connected yeah. still with but yeah. let's hope they are so that was a bit of a big and maybe yeah. vague one but anyway yeah For mine's you? probably also slightly vague because well that's you know, okay we're prediction i don't necessarily have any solutions for this one myself because it's not my job i guess so to speak um it security is the big one um particularly connected devices in homes um, from from the um, the, te- the Deutsche Telekom nine hundred thousand um, mo- modems that got hacked, to you know the crockpots getting hacked, the baby monitors, the light bulbs, the smart light bulbs that could flash SOS in Morse code, um, to the barriers at the stations in San Fran, to the cars at the um, DEFCON, you know from the white hackers, all this stuff. Um, to you know, you could every every day there's some kind of attack that someone admits to or what have you, and I think the only way this is going to change is there has to be some regulatory compliance, mm-hmm. and secondly, it has to be enforced. Enforced, no, but it has to be culturally embedded in every organisation's creation creative process from prototype stage. So it's not like an add-on at the end where you go, oh, we've got to do some security. And the reason, the biggest reason I say this is if you think about the kinds of smart devices we're getting. I mean, yes, you could say one, well, do we need everything to be smart? Do we need a smart kettle? Do we need a smart toaster? Um, Blah, blah, blah. But you also think, well, there are also a lot of smart devices that will save lives. I'm thinking of some of the medical stuff, for example. But then you have Johnson & Johnson admitting that some of their pumps in hospitals could be hacked. And that's the first company ever, health company, to admit something like that. I'd like to take what you said... Change it slightly and sneak in a second to, to do. <laughs> well, because this might continue. A second to do for 2017. Right. And that is personal. So what you said is a good point. But actually, really, probably the best way it would be solved would not be companies and things um, fixing it because you can't always rely on that depending on the company and where they're from. But actually, if people, if the individual took... Um, more respect and more control and was more aware of their data privacy and data su- yeah. security, it would, it was it would fix a lot of <laughs> yes. that issue, but also a lot of the other issues mm. we've talked about. A lot of the other things we've talked about with the social networks, mm. with hacking, mm. with um, businesses mm. using too much of our data, that would actually solve it from the other way around. And okay. people would, instead of... They would not... You know, they would demand that companies... Are more secure by not buying the products that aren't. Agreed. I suppose. Absolutely. Basically. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And now I've got what I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> so do you want to sneak in a sneaky number two? Actually, that sounded bad. Do you want to sneak in a sneaky second point? A sneaky second to do? Well, I'll finish the first point because um, that's probably easier because they kind of flow okay. on. Um, which is, firstly, I mentioned the, um, you know, there's got to be some regulatory compliance. It's got to be embedded within the, um, the product itself. It's got to be suitable for long-term products from our washing machines and fridges and things like that to cars, things we have for a very long time. So it needs, the security has to, has to be adaptable um, rather than retrospective patches, mm-hmm. things. Because I think we will, one thing we will see is the idea of um, products as, or ser- uh, almost service as a service or security as a service in the sense that um, if you buy a product... How, how, what's the enactment going to be? Because we already have software as a service. So how are we going to do security as a service? Well, <laughs> to give you a really s- a really simple idea, it could be that you um, you don't own a fridge. What you own is a you almost hire a fridge, and then it's up if it's a smart fridge, and then it's updated regularly with you know new technology, new um, security, mm. new capabilities, and that's really what you're paying for. It's just a framework. And you see this now in a lot of workplaces with um, printers, for example, that the um, the smart printers are able to reorder the cartridges, for example, for you. So you're effectively paying for the cartridges yeah. Yeah. And, and the paper as opposed yeah. to the printer. Some, some yeah. of that stuff. Okay. But I also think, secondly to that, um, the other thing we're going to see security is this... I'm not sure quite how to put it, but I think there's going to be perhaps more effort at looking at... Um, Preempting attacks, so ways to anticipate where there's weaknesses in networks and where there's mm. weaknesses in um, how how the how the light gets in through the cracks. I guess is the, the way you would, you might say it. Every chain has its weakest link. That's probably what I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah. Like I know some people put the blockchain as one example of security. Um, yeah, we didn't. We haven't spoken about blockchain at all in this room. Yeah, but, although I, um, there was, I have seen quite a lot of interesting applications of blockchain. Mm, but me too. Nothing. I've read about a lot this year. Nothing. Uh, either it felt kind of nothing newer or nothing concrete enough to, to talk about. But maybe that's that's the kind of big list, no- big list yeah, for both of us. Perhaps it's my notable mention. Okay. All right. Let's let's wrap this up. Mm. If you've enjoyed what we've put out this year, and it's been a bit all over the place, I think this was our year of experimentation. Very much. Very much. And next year we're going to slick it up a bit. Mm. We're going to have a camera crew run by the cat. We're going to have a microphone each. We're going to have banners and funny moustaches on Kate when she's not noticing in post-production and all sorts of things like that. I, I think, though, to be fair, Chris, I think you have to show people the cat. But anyway, well, the, no, cat, the, the cat shows itself, I think. But um, if you enjoy what you have seen and heard this year, we encourage you to support what we do because then we can spend more time on improving things. Yeah. If you go to gregariousmammal.com slash support, you can find a plethora, a selection of ways to contribute Bitcoin, PayPal, and I'm actually going to be adding GratiPay very soon because... Uh, things I won't go into, but um, or you can buy merchandise. We have chinchillas. We do. We have we have a seasonal chinchilla with a festive hat. Oh, we do. Yes. Available t-shirts, stickers, badges, laptop covers, whatever you like on Redbubble and Threadless. I think you can get them just in time for Christmas. We also have a very appropriate Trump chinchilla with uh, a chinchilla with a lovely hairpiece on its head. 
If you're not into chinchillas, you're mad. But if you're not into chinchillas, we have the It Depends t-shirt, which is the answer every developer gives to every question. Mm. And we have the I'm not lazy, I'm self-employed t-shirt. Don't, don't look at me when you say like this. I'll be looking at you the whole time. <laughs> I think my favourite is still the Global Bowie. The Global Bowie t-shirt. That was one of yeah. the first. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's but my favourite. All of these are available as multiple, um, multiple merchandise items at reasonable prices from your local distribution centres, from a third list and Redbubble. Um, Wonderful. And if you want to get the show notes or find previous episodes, also go to gregariousmammal.com slash podcast. So unless we sneak something in at some point, and I might do some more daily barks, this is it for 2016. We will see you in 2017. I think maybe our first big um, episode will probably be reporting from FOSDEM, but... We will in February, but we'll probably do an episode before that. But um, that will probably be our big first big episode in 2017. Reporting from the highly exciting, typically wet Belgian capital of <laughs> Brussels. So this is Chinch out. Farewell. You have a name? Kate. There we go. This is Chinch out. That's my nickname. You need a nickname. You need a call sign. Just, I don't know. Just call me Kate. That's fine. Right. <laughs> call me Kate. That's her cool song. All right. Have have a lovely festive season, everybody. Happy holidays and um, good luck surviving families. <laughs> <laughs>